Do not speak evil against any one and another brother. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbour? Boasting about tomorrow. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it's a sin. Warning to the rich, come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up your treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed our fields, which he kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, and um, I wasn't sure I was going to quite make it. I had, uh, I thought I had COVID in the week. I had a terrible um, cough, uh, barking away, felt very poor. So I did, um, you know, I do, it's fine. I took a few, um, don't worry, I haven't got COVID. But uh, so I did do the, the, uh, the lateral flow test, dug out the, uh, the remaining precious box um, that we have in the household, and uh, took a few of them, but not COVID, just man flu. Um, I think manthrax or manbola. It was quite, it was quite bad. But um, the useful thing about those lateral flow tests, of course, is they're very straightforward. Are they um, quick, easy test and uh, 15 minutes, and you know, sort of, um, if you've got it. I mean, it's very straightforward. Binary, yes, no, most of the time, unless you get one of those annoying little faint lines. Um, binary. A bit different what James has got for us this morning. They are three little tests, I think, in our passage this morning. But it's a bit harder because it's not binary. But three little tests James has got for us. Has worldliness polluted your church? It's a bit rude, isn't it, for me as a guest to come in and say that. But is Christchurch Bromley governed by heavenly wisdom or worldly wisdom in chapter three that was the the sort of distinction that was made or last time in chapter four faithful to the lord or adulterous i don't know how you found working your way through james it's pretty brutal actually um uh, quite demanding james is not a book if you want your comfortable christianity 
if you wanted to just, you know, a little Christian veneer to your life, and the, basically you can just get on with living life and how you want, James won't let you do that. He says that's, well, that is worldliness, has affected you, has affected your church, if that's how you want to behave. And if you've worked your way through it, he's got increasingly forceful, I think. So the, the first couple of chapters in particular, lots of my brothers, the sense of my brothers and sisters, my brothers, my brothers, my brothers, in chapter 1 a couple of times, into, even into chapter 2, verse 5, my beloved brothers and sisters, chapter 2, verse 5, a couple of times in chapter 1. But from really in chapter 4 onwards, my brothers, my beloved brothers and sisters, that language is gone. So you wouldn't have had it last time. You get a hint again today, chapter 4, verse 11, my brothers, again, sense, brothers and sisters. But there's, there's no warmth of language here. He's expressing some pretty blunt sentiments. And so in our, our passage today, don't speak evil, chapter 4, verse 11. It's quite strong, isn't it? Or verse 4.16, your boasting is evil. The way you're treating people, chapter 5, verse 6, you may as well be murdering them. Quite forceful. But James is talking here about behavior which it may seem wise in the eyes of the world. Sort of normal, that's just what you've got to do in life. But he says it's not okay for the Christian. It's not okay in Christ's church, that level of worldliness. And so it'll reveal, I guess, the genuineness of our faith and, and certainly the, the wholeheartedness of our faith. Three little tests he's got for us. They're quite straightforward, really. James is not that hard to understand. It's just demanding of us. Three little tests, we'll work through them. Uh, is there slanderous speech, verses 11 to 12? Is there arrogant planning, verses 13 to 17? Is there self-indulgent hoarding into chapter 5, verses 1 to 6? Those three, okay? Is there slanderous speech? Is there arrogant planning? Is there self-indulgent hoarding? Is that just a great lineup? Don't you want that on the menu? That's what he's going to ask of us. So we've got these three things. First then, is there slanderous speech? Chapter 4 and verses 11 and 12. Let me reread. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Don't speak evil against one another. He's condemning Slander, I think. Untrue or exaggerated things about someone else that ruin their reputation. Well, we just see that in the society around us. The world takes that quite seriously. You get defamation suits launched for $100 million, $50 million, because my reputation is ruined. Everyone knows, actually, our words can do vast damage to someone. And James is saying, certainly none of that in the church. The reasoning is interesting, not just because lies are wrong, but 11, the second half of verse 11, don't speak evil against one another, brothers, because 
Look, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law, judges the law. Quirky, I, I think perhaps most naturally, the Ten Commandments, the Ninth Commandment, do not give false testimony. I think he's talking about that. When we say things about others that are untrue or exaggerated, we're saying, look, I know, that, I know God says don't lie, but in this matter, I know better. Someone annoys you. Someone annoys you this morning. And um, over the picnic, you're so irritated by the time you get to the picnic, you say, you have no idea what they said to me. 20 times they said this to me this morning when they'd said it once. You know, it's just, that's just, we do it, don't we? Human nature, because we want to persuade the, 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 the listener. It was so awful. Uh, and so we sort of exaggerate the crime of, of the other person. What, what we're doing there, James says, is saying, we know better than God. God says, don't lie. And we say, yeah, we know that. We believe that. But in this case, it's acceptable because I was so offended. So it's acceptable for me to lie. James says, you're judging the law. You're saying you know better than God at that moment in time. In fact, you're putting yourself in God's place, I think is verse 12. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who's able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge your neighbor? It's not your job. It's God's job. And that's worldly wisdom, says James, sometimes infecting the church. So quick to believe the word. Oh, we believed a rumor. So quick to exaggerate what someone has done. In our culture, the temperature, or the, or the, the, not the temperature, the pace at which this happens gets turned up and up and up. Um, so social media, you have pylons very quickly. And um, it's slightly addictive and compelling. And no one, ever, no one ever retweets someone who says, there's a dispute between two people. I don't know where the truth lies, and I will not comment. No one ever retweets that and pushes it on because it's boring. The only things that get passed on and on are the salacious, the interesting, the gossip. Um, the angry, they get. James knows that. Same for our tongues, same for our speech. The things that get repeated are the, ooh, interesting ones. And so he's saying, don't let that behavior enter the church when you exaggerate what someone has done. You lie about what someone has done to elevate yourself and push someone else down. That's not okay. Now, the, the quick clarification, James is not saying it's wrong to rebuke or correct someone else if they've got something wrong elsewhere. You know, Colossians 3.16, teach and admonish one another. You, you do do that. You've got to do that. It's important that we do that to one another. I, I guess the, 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 the question to diagnose is, if someone wrongs you, who do you speak to? If someone offends you, who do you speak to? Do you speak to them? Kindly, gently, saying, look, there's an issue here, we need to resolve it. That's good, that's proper, that's biblical. Do you speak about them to someone else? That's bad. That's what James is saying, don't do that. Who do you speak to? But you know, even with that caveat, don't be numb to the warning here. 
disputes can easily spiral out of control because of exaggeration and therefore lying about what's happened. We've got one at church at the moment. It's, it's, it's so, so silly. It's so silly. These two people in a dispute, and they've both exaggerated what the other has done. And then it makes it quite hard to climb down. Um, he said this, and she said that. Okay, can you come together? But now, once other, and everyone, it all gets exaggerated what's happened. Oh. Beware of the slanderous speech, says James. That, that's just worldliness in a church. So you want to avoid that. Second little test, I guess, of worldliness is arrogant planning. Verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, We'll live and do this or do that. Now, what do you make of this? Planning. I imagine there's lots of people who plan well. I imagine Bromley is a sort of place where people plan for the future and are sensible in their planning for the future. And there's nothing wrong with sensible planning. What's wrong here? Nothing wrong with planning per se, but boasting. He's going to say, verse 16, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. The, the attitude of heart which thinks you're in control. And James will say, remember two things. Verse 14, you don't know what tomorrow will bring and your life is just a mist. Look, two things to remember when you're making your plans. You're ignorant and your life is fleeting. And to do plan... But bear those two things in mind. To have a pension is a very sensible thing. To take out insurance is very good. You know, I'm very glad I took out dog insurance. It saved us thousands of pounds for this wretched mutt. Um, he just barks at me all day long. Um, sensible. But we're ignorant. And life is short. You've just got to bear those two things in mind. Do you recognize that you're in the hands of God? So you see the positive, verse 15. You ought to say, if the Lord wills, will two things, will live, and secondly, will do this or that. Your lives and your accomplishments are in the hands of God. Your lives. I mean, who knows? I mean, we know it, don't we? But every heartbeat is just sustained by the living God. And you know, 1.30 this afternoon, maybe he says, you've had enough. They're in his hands. What we'll achieve is in his hands. And to think otherwise, that is arrogant. It's evil, he says. Now, we all know this, don't we? Um, I mean, <laughs> the last few years in particular would be really obvious. None of us had in our diaries, none of us, New Year's resolution, uh, 2020. I tell you what, New, what my plans for this year, March to July, work from home. No one wrote that in their diary uh, in 2020. All of a sudden, the plans were, you know, um, uh, 
Quinlan Terry, who did your building, drew up these marvelous plans for a building project that we were going to do at um, uh, in Christchurch Mayfair, and we got all our permissions. And uh, so we launched uh, the, for the fundraising at a church weekend away at the start of March 2020. And then we never met again as church for the next six months. And now you can't buy a builder for gazillions of pounds uh, to do this sort of work. So we may have never... Two years of work. <laughs> gone. All just gone. And you'll have your own stories of how that's similar for you. So we need to recognize plan. Oh, of course, plan. I mean, elsewhere, biblically, like 1 Timothy 5, you've got a plan for your family. If you don't do so, you're a fool. Um, it's the, the Proverbs would repeatedly tell us plan, 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 but not arrogantly. But remembering, look, we are in the Lord's hands. My life, every single one of my accomplishments, is down to Him. It's the sort of thing, you've been a Christian for a while, you know that. But emotionally, we're quite resistant to that. Because we quite like control. We quite like, you know, we trust the Lord. But we've got things covered as well. Just in case he hasn't. We quite like that control. We like to think we've insulated ourselves from the problems that may come. But James is reminding us here, self-reliance, it's a very shaky throne to sit on. Self-reliance is fundamentally the enemy of the gospel. You become a Christian by saying, help. You carry on the Christian life by saying, help. Lord, I, I'll never get to heaven on my own. I need Jesus to take me there. I never keep going as a Christian. I need Jesus to hold on to me. Everything that I achieve in this life is in your hands. It's actually a safer place to be. It's worth, next time you find yourself looking at a bank statement, an insurance policy, a nest egg, what your pension pot's looking like, just light a match and watch the smoke rise from a match and think, it's just like that, just a mist. My life is a mist. Just a vapor. So he'll say, look, um, verse 17, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him is sin. It's a strange verse. What is the right thing to do then? It must be to commit ourselves into the Lord hand, Lord's hands. It must be to say, verse 15, if the Lord wills, we'll do this and that. It, it must be the section you looked at last time, this humility of chapter 4, verse 8, that draws near to God. It's got to be that is the right thing to do. Lord, my achievements, my accomplishments, my plans, they're all in your hands. Here's, here's our best guess of what we're going to do next. But it's in your hands, Lord. We sit lightly. We pray. Sometimes this sort of thing makes you think, well, what do we need to pray about? Um, everything? Uh, where are we going to go on holiday? Whether to get a dog? Don't. Um, uh, what am I going to have for breakfast? Where are we going to... It's the attitude of our hearts, not, not necessarily the, the volume. Or, or, or how... Do I? Is this my plan? Or is it, Lord, here's our best guess. 
this is what seems wise to me in order to serve you. But we're in your hands, Lord. Arrogant planning. So this slanderous speech, arrogant planning. Third, self-indulgent hoarding. Is this a mark of worldliness that's entered your life, entered into the church? Self-indulgent hoarding. Chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. Brutal, these. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming on you. Your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. Their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You've condemned, you've murdered the righteous person. He doesn't resist you. Amen. I really enjoy it. I remember reading, I can't remember which where it was, but Tim Chester, the minister up in Sheffield, has written plenty of books, said he, he read this to a bunch of students and said, look, you know, we're thinking about um, uh, uh, sort of economic policy. Does the Bible have anything to say about this? So I found this. It's by a radical theologian. What do you make of it? And just read it to them, and none of them recognized it as the Bible. And they all said, terrible. I mean, just graceless. You wouldn't have that in the Bible. Because he said, it is the Bible. Um, but it's... Full on, isn't it? I mean, Jeremy Corbyn would be very happy with something, a passage such as that in one of his speeches. Golly. Weep. Wail. Misery's coming upon you. The wealth that you've hoarded will eat your flesh. Now, of course, the issue is not how much money you have necessarily. It's how you've got it. And how you use it. I think um, I thought it was a helpful summary in his little commentary. Alec Motier said there are four things here. Hoarding, exploitation, self-indulgence, bullying. I thought it was a helpful little summary. Hoarding, verse 3. Your riches have rotted, your garments have moth-eaten, verse 3. Your gold and silver have corroded. Their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. Again, as James often does, picking up on the words of Jesus, where's your treasure? Is it in heaven? Is it here on earth? Hoarding. The last days you've hoarded up treasure, these days until the return of Jesus. They are not, now is not the time to hoard treasure. Now is the time to use it to grow the kingdom of God. You can have all the treasure you want in heaven. Invest there. You cannot lose. The stock market of, of the Lord's bank can never fail. <laughs> Price, you don't need small print. Prices never go down. They only ever go up. Now is not the time to hoard money here on earth. Invest in the kingdom of heaven. I take it James is not a fool. He knows that, for example, gold doesn't corrode. Gold doesn't rust. But he's telling them an eternal reality. We think gold, safe investment. James says, no, it isn't. It will serve you no purpose. Hoarding your gold, your pounds. You may as well today go to Sainsbury's and buy a loaf of bread and shove it in your attic and say, I'm saving that 
for a rainy day and getting out in, out in two years' time and going, oh, that is a little disappointing. I don't fancy a sandwich made with mould. That's what we're doing, he says. It's no good hoarding here and now. Verse 4, exploitation. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept by fraud, are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. That's good news, isn't it? Any employee unfairly treated, the Lord knows. All wrongs will be righted. I guess for you and for me, any of us in the business of uh, employing people, just need to treat them well, not withhold anything. Uh, the Lord hears their cries. I, I guess by extrapolation, paying pitiful wages while creaming off vast profits is unacceptable. Um, I suppose many of us do that. Maybe the Christian needs to ask to what extent we tacitly endorse that injustice if we buy from companies which don't pay decent wages. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Self-indulgence in verse 5, I guess similar to hoarding. Verse 5, you've, you've lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. What on earth does that mean? How much is it allow, are you allowed to keep? I read, um, this is a very stimulating article, it was years ago, I read it by, by Peter Singer, he's an ethicist, he's certainly no Christian. Uh, he wrote an article, how much should a billionaire give and how much should you give? And um, he built on the, he's, he'd read some work by a guy called Herbert Simon, who's, you don't know, but he's a Nobel-winning economist, and um, uh, did some work into how much of anyone's success, if you make it and make lots of money, how much of that is down to your brilliance, and how much is down to social capital, he called it, just the place you're born in. If you're born into a country where there's the rule of law, so people won't nick stuff. If you're born somewhere where there's good infrastructure, where there's technology in community, where there's raw materials, how much does that contribute? And he asked his research, he was his PhD, and said 90% of anyone's success is just down to where they're born. The very maximum, I mean, at the top end, 10%, you can claim for your own brilliance. And so Warren Buffett, you may have heard him, he's a multi-billionaire investor, Hathaway Capital. Um, he read this and said, yeah, that's, I get that. And so he's so far given away, I think it's 28 billion, and has promised that before he dies, he'll give away 90% of everything he owns. And you might say, well, he's still left with a few billion. Um, but still to give away 90% is pretty impressive. And lots of people have said to him, oh, come on, Warren, don't be so silly. I mean, you are brilliant. No one has made the money you've made. It's down to you. To which his, his response, he was a very humble guy, he said, yeah, well, shove me down in the middle of what's now Bangladesh in the fifth century and see how much money I earn. How much is yours? And he's saying again, I can't just accumulate luxury to myself. So much is just down to or the providence of life. So just to accumulate in self-indulgence, it's not your money. It's not right. Verse 6, I guess is the worst of all. This brutal, isn't it? This bullying behavior, I think, is what he's talking about here. You condemned, you've murdered. I don't think literally no more than it was back in chapter 
for literal murder. I think it's an attitude of heart. I think it'd get a slightly stronger condemnation rather than just slip it in as one word amongst many. We're a bullying behavior to make money. Now, pause. Um, you can read that list, and particularly chapters 5, verse 1 to 6, and say, well, phew, thank goodness I'm not one of the rich. <laughs> because, golly, they're going to get it in the neck, aren't they? Yeah, well, <sighs> James is giving us a warning. The self-indulgent hoarding of, I don't know, a Jeff Bezos or someone like that of Amazon, that attitude... That worldliness of, look how brilliant I am, look what I've accumulated, look at my genius, that can infect us as Christians. It can infect the church. I mean, do we assume that God is, ever, is always going to provide us with an ever more comfortable lifestyle? Is that just an assumption that we might make? I think the really hard question to ask of a passage such as this is, how do we know? How do I know, honestly, how do I know if I'm laying up treasure on earth or I'm laying up treasure in heaven? How do I know that? It's hard, isn't it? Uh, years ago, um, not sure what was there, but anyway, years ago, we had the, there's, we, I remember how we had a seminar at a weekend away at church. A guy called Dan was um, very successful, mid-50-year-old. He'd made a lot of money, and everyone had great respect for Dan, and he was a great servant. He was always the, the last to finish, finish packing away chairs, and everyone had enormous respect for Dan. He did a seminar on a weekend away on budgeting, and I thought he was doing it for the 20-somethings. But actually, loads of I mean, most of the gang, turned, most of the church turned up, I think, just because they respect Dan. He's, he's a really good guy. So, um, you know, half the room were the sort of the middle-aged characters, and lots of it was common sense, and I think most of them were a bit bored, particularly the older end, and there's lots of doodling going on, and yeah, it's very obvious, and spreadsheets, and so on, and so on. And then I was sat near the back, and I remember he, he had this one line, and um, he said, uh, I take it that for Christians, pensions aside, no Christian would ever save more than they give every month. That would just be hoarding. And the whole room went. And it, it wasn't a big thing. It was just a throw. I think what, it was just a throwaway line in the middle of, so, you know, of an hour's worth of stuff. Uh, but afterwards, what do you think about that? I mean, you can't. It's, it's hoarding. To, to, to save more than you give is hoarding. What do you, what do you think about that? I mean, after, and afterwards, he said, look, I'm not... I mean, that just seems obvious to me. You do what you want. You know, he was a bit sort of, oh, golly, I've really thrown the... I was really surprised that this has upset people. Isn't that just obvious that that's hoarding? And honestly, for about six months afterwards, you know, the, the Dekaiser the seminar was just this thing. It was, it was just spoken about. It was interesting. For him, that was just obvious. You would never do that. For a lot of the room was... Very unsettling. Well, that's hoarding, obviously. Is it? I, I don't know. You make up your mind. I guess one of the, the little things is if... Um, how would you feel if... I mean, I've asked myself this often. If my credit card statement was photocopied and dispersed monthly to everyone, how would I feel? Would I be deeply embarrassed? Like my phone records, like my internet searches, would I be deeply embarrassed? Or it's fine. 
I mean, a few silly things on there. I know, I know the big inflatable rubber thing was, you know, a waste of time and it punctured the first time we went on the sea with it. I know it was stupid. There'd be some stupid things. But embarrassed, I don't know. But you've got to work out your own way of that, haven't you, to know that. Is there self-indulgent hoarding? So those three, James says, has wildliness infected you, your church, or are you living wholeheartedly? Is there slanderous speech? Is there arrogant planning? Is there self-indulgent hoarding? So James, is, <laughs> James won't let us have a comfortable Christianity. He won't let you have your worldly life and then just Jesus on top. He says, no, that's worldliness. That's spiritual adultery in the language last time. The problem for you and me, I guess, is it's not like a lateral flow test. Clear. Or you've got the sickness. We're all on a spectrum, aren't we? So what do we do with that? Some, I take it, amongst a room such as this have got a tender conscience and hear these three tests and feel terrible. And, and throughout, James, you've just felt terrible because you've got a tender conscience. And there'll be some like that. Uh, and others will have a thick skin and think, ha, not me, it's him. I know, I know that passage is talking about, it's her. Um, and some will... May I suggest that for all of us, the thing to do is what we were told to do last time. What is, for my mind, the central call of the letter is to repent. Chapter 4, verse 5. Let me read these again. Chapter 4, verse 5. Do you suppose it's no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that is made to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. There is always more grace on offer from the Lord. You can't out-sin his grace. There's only one condition, says James. You just need to repent. You just need to draw near. You just need to say, I need you. Verse 7, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil who will flee from you. You just need to repent. There's always more grace. See, one sense, and I, to my mind, that's the central call, uh, or the, the central passage uh, in the book of James. But... Um, that's the greatest test. Is there repentance? No matter where you are on the scale of hoarding, gossiping, extreme or mild, is there repentance? Because there's always more grace. I made it my habit several years ago when I get in the shower in the morning to turn it on, and there may or may not be hot water. Depends who's got there first. Um, but there's always water. And as the water comes out of the shower, say every morning, there's always more grace. It's my little ritual. I don't have many habits in my life. That's, there's always more grace. As the water hits my face, Lord, thank you for more grace. There's grace again this morning. There's always more of Jesus Christ for those who turn back to him. You've got to humble yourself. Not say, I'm the judge, so I can speak how I want here. Not say, I'm in control. I'll make the plans I want. Not say, I've earned that money, it's mine. But say, it's all yours, Lord. 
I get it wrong sometimes. There's fresh grace. But I want to draw near to you once again and receive that. Let's do that even now. Let's pray together. Our great God and Father, thank you that there is always more grace with you available through the Lord Jesus. Father, please, would we hear what we need to hear from these three little tests this morning? Uh, For some, perhaps, there needs to be significant repentance. We know we're living in a way that is deeply adulterous and hostile to you. For, for many of us, there'll be areas where we think, oh, yeah, not, not great, probably not quite where God wants me to be. But Father, would we all return to you? Even as we share the Lord's Supper, would we turn to you now in repentance and receive fresh grace, fresh forgiveness? Father, not relying upon ourselves, but trusting in the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.